Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. How many know there's an ideal, there's an ideal family, and, and then there, there's what you got? You know what I'm saying? There, there's, a, there's this beautiful, wonderful ideal that every once in a while we see a family, we think, oh my gosh, they're the perfect family. And then there's what, what you got. You know, there's, there's this family on TV and you're like, man, they all love each other and they get along and just, it seems so great. And then, and then, and then, and then there's your family. And, and so we, we, we're going to look over these next few weeks at I, I, what I believe is what God's ideal family is. And you're gonna, you might be a little bit shocked at what I tell you today, but man, there's something really, really great about family. Um, whenever we get into a subject like this, I'm very, very aware that family is one of the most sensitive subjects. And so I'll try to tread lightly at times and then just be humorous at others maybe, or every once in a while we'll just go for a dagger in the heart. And, and, but, but I'm aware, I'm aware that when you start bringing up family that words like father are emotionally loaded words words like mother and and, and our kids and that, that does not come free from emotion there's a lot of heaviness there the other thing is is that family has this ability to be the most like joyful and rewarding part of your life and the most painful part of your life sometimes within the same day I mean, like, like, like if you've got kids out there, you know kids can be like the thing that brings the most joy and satisfaction to your heart. And it's also the reason why my hair is thinning. They, they just have an ability, like your, your parents in one sense, you can look at them and think about, most for most of us, we can think about all the sacrifices that they made for us, but then we think they're crazy. And I don't know which one and where, where to go with this. There's, there's basically only one universal truth about family, too, because your family is so different than mine. And if we, if we all sat down and we just had, like, we all took an honesty pill, we could really pull up some dirt and some crazy when it came to conversations about our family. So our families are all different, but here's the one thing that might be universally true of all of our families, and it's... We're trying, there you go. Is when it comes to family, you did not get a choice in the matter. Can I get an amen? You didn't. You didn't get it. You didn't get to choose. Because we remember. Remember there was there was like times as a kid where you like looked at your family and then you had like your buddy's family. You're like, man, I want to go live with them. You're like, I didn't get to choose my family. My family's crazy at times, or my family's wild. Or maybe, maybe you had the family that everybody else envied. I hope. I hope that was you. But you didn't. Remember that old saying like you can pick your friends. Well, there's two different phrases. One of them was you can pick your friends and you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your friend's nose. That was, that was one of them. But the other one was you can, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. That's the more appropriate one to the series at least. But the first one's true, though. I mean, you should, that's, a, that's a life principle. Keep that one. But this is, the, this is the important one. You can pick your friends. You cannot pick your family. You can't pick how it all came together and how mom and dad met and there was a twinkle in his eye. and that, you, you don't know. You just, and then all of a sudden you're just, bam, that's the family that somehow God put me with. Now, here's the issue that I have is as a pastor, I start looking at the issues of family And as a pastor, I think, God, what do you have to say? And what does the Bible say about this stuff? And here's the crazy part. When it comes to the Bible, there are no great examples of family. You ever thought about this before? Like, like it, it dawned on me. I'm looking for like, okay, well, there's got to be like a good family we can model after, right? 
You like maybe Jesus' family. Not completely. They lost Jesus. There's a story where Jesus is 12 and they lost him for three days. You thought you were a bad parent. You probably never lost your kid for three days, maybe one, but not three days. And so, so, so that, you know, there's some issue there that like when you go to the first family, because you would think the first family, Adam and Eve, lived in an ideal setting. So you would think that with ideal circumstances, you could maybe produce an ideal family. But we know that Eve ruined everything, didn't she? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Kind of. Um. It dawned on me recently why, because so many times you read that story of the Bible and, and there's totally equal responsibility, maybe even more so on Adam's part. I, so I joke about the, the ladies and Eve, but the reality is, is, is like, maybe this was God's mistake because God made them both naked in the Garden of Eden. And I think that was the problem. Because, because if you put a man in front of a woman and then she says to do anything and she has no clothing on, we're helpless. We have, no, we have no sense of control at that point in time. And so, yeah, okay. Um, and and so, so, so anyway, so that family starts off in an ideal world but ends up making a mess of each other because of sin. And even their kids, like the first murder in the Bible, it doesn't take long. It's the first families. You got Adam and Eve. Remember they had two kids named Cain and Abel. And then there's like a dispute, an argument, and a fight. And then Cain's like, well, I'll just beat him to death. And he takes him out into a field and they just go start fighting and he beats his brother to death. And then you're like, oh my God, this is the first family. No good examples. Like keep moving along. Think, think about it. Abraham, you think father, father Abraham, father of our faith. You think, surely, there's this moment where he's just, he's married, his wife was apparently very attractive, and they're in a certain region to where, like, he knows that the king can just take whatever he wants, and he's like, man, Sarah is hot. You know what? Just tell him you're my sister. That was the answer. So I don't, he's going to kill me and take you. Just say you're my sister. And so anyway, there's just all kinds of weird stuff in the Bible. Like when you get to David, like the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. David maybe had the most dysfunctional family. His family was so weird. As a matter of fact, the the nation almost split and went into civil war because his son started a coup to overthrow his dad and it ended in like a bloodbath. It was awful. All, All throughout the Bible, you're like, if I, keep, if I just keep going from book of the Bible to the book of the Bible, surely I'm going to find. There's not any. Doesn't that make you feel better about yourself right now? If that didn't sink in, like that was the point. Like, oh, cool. Even Bible people have weird family just like me. I'm okay. I'm, I'm, all, I'm all right. I'm going to make it. But, but here's the thing, though. When you get to the New Testament, by the time you get through the history of the, the Gospels and the book of Acts, the, the Bible moves more into instruction. And while there are not any great families to glean from and reflect from, there is some very, very insightful and specific instruction that Paul uses because he takes the life and teachings of Jesus. And then what the apostles many times are doing is saying, okay, You people in Corinth, this is how you guys are going to walk out all the Jesus stuff. And you people in Galatians, this is how y'all are going to walk out the Jesus stuff. And so so there's specific instruction. And just so you know, everybody say ideal. There is an ideal family, and Paul is moving us towards that. The Bible moves us towards that, and this is what it looks like. Are you ready? Let's, let's just work through some of these scriptures. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, children, if you're, if you're a kid out there, this is really, really good for you. Obey your parents in the Lord. Yeah, and all the, all the moms and dads said what? Yeah, preach on, white boy. Uh, 
children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. So, so there's an ideal. And honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a, a promise. In the, in, the, in the Ten Commandments, by the time you get to the, 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 the honor your father, he goes, because if you do so, you'll live long in life and it'll be good for you. So honor your, your mom and dad. Colossians 3, watch this one. This is for wives. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. That's... That's yours. Number, uh, number, number 19, verse number 19. Husbands, this one's for you. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Yeah, quit being mean. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. This is the one that I'm the worst at. The, the, if, you, if you, you know, read an older translation of the Bible, it would say don't like exasperate your children and this was this idea of like you just taking your kids and like wearing them out. You taking your kids and you just going on and on and on and over and over and over. And, you, and, and here's many times what I find myself doing. What I'm saying is right. What I'm saying is true. But I'm beating a dead horse. I'm saying it too much. I'm saying it too often. I keep going on and on until I end up breaking their spirit and discouraging them. It's, and it's so hard to do because as a, as a parent, your intentions are pure. You're telling them what's right and what's true, but you are wearing them out to the point of discouraging them. Let's go back. It goes back to husbands now. Husbands, this is out of 1 Peter. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wife. Like consider your wife First, like before you start dropping, you know, a thousand dollars on a new AR, you know, think about your wife and her needs. Um, my bad. Um, and, and treat them with what? Respect. Like, like the utmost of respect as the weaker partner. That weaker partner thing doesn't mean less value. As a matter of fact, what we'll find is that men and women have completely equal value before God. This just had to do with how much you could bench press, which is a generalization because some of you dudes probably should hit the gym a little more often. Because um, I've seen some girls that can throw down. And so, just saying, guys, just hit the gym a couple times a month. And as heirs with you, this is the point we're talking about, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Meaning, dudes, like you're, if you keep being mean and disrespectful to your wife, God's like, that kind of shuts down your prayers getting answered. Nobody wants that. And he goes, so, so your heirs, like men and women are heirs together, meaning like equals, you're equals. And, and and husbands are to honor and sacrifice, and wives are to honor and submit, and, and then you got children who are supposed to obey. And here's the deal. This is what's crazy. When we hear this kind of stuff, how many of y'all think, man, that's old-fashioned old, that's old right there? Doesn't that sound kind of old? That's the, way, that's the way it used to be, Todd. That's old-fashioned. I'm going to rock your world real quick here. This would never have been old-fashioned to them. This would have been mind-blowing futuristic to them. Because the day in the culture that they lived in, you didn't respect your wife. Your wife was like, you had like property and animals, and then your wife was just above that. That was what their culture treated women like. They were, they were just, that's why in their culture, you'd had to give a cow to a dude to get his, the, the daughter. I mean, like, there was, there was like this incredible um, inequality between men and women. Men were subpoenas, are seen as superior and, and women as completely lesser, in no way equal. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes along and starts validating women. And Paul comes along and says, no, they're completely equal and they're co-heirs. With Christ now. And they're like, what? 
I don't know about this. That just sounds kind of frou-frou. Imagine if I got up and said, imagine a world where there's no war and there's food everywhere and there's an abundance of energy and food and that's in our future. You'd be like, wow, what would that world look like where there's no war and everybody has food? You'd be like, what an what incredible, utopic, idealistic, futuristic world. Wouldn't we all think that? That's what they thought when Paul said this stuff. They're like, that's too good to be true. Wives submit, you know what my wife is like? Wives were like, me submit, do you know what my husband is like? You know, children, I mean, this was my, this is the other thing about children. Like children, like children were of less value than women even. So like there's these mind-blowing moments where like Jesus is teaching and the kids want to hang out and they're like, yeah, let, let, he's like, let the kids come over. And they're like, what? What is he doing letting the kids come over? That is like they're, they're lesser than women on the social, social totem pole. Like, and here's, here's what you find to be so true is wherever you, you see a people or a culture begin to adopt these divine and biblical principles and virtues, you see the elevation of women and children. And in every culture where you see people abandon these biblical virtues about how they see family, you always see the quality of life for children and women go down. It's just a part of human history because what Jesus was introducing and what Paul was introducing was radical. It was futuristic. It was what? There's no way. And we look at now as maybe something that would be old fashioned. But my point is this would have been the ideal. So let's just, we'll, we'll summarize it real quick here. Husbands, this is the summary. Husbands, love your wives and be considerate. Love them, be considerate. Number two, wives, submit to your husbands. Number three, children, obey your parents. Please. Please. Fathers, quit wearing them kids out. And we're all like, man, I don't know. I remember the reason why this series is so important to me is I remember years ago, I was doing a family series And when I talked about parents, I had this whole message where I talked about parents and how you're training and disciplining your kids. And what I said was, as I said, when you read the Bible and what your aim and what your goal for is that your kids have the ability to obey with like a cheerful attitude. That, there's, that, that it's not crazy to think that your kids can obey and have a good attitude about it. And from this section over here, this person's probably gone, I'm sure. But from this section over here, someone laughed out loud. Now, look, it was not a funny part. I mean, every once in a while I'll say something funny, I'll get a laugh. But this was not that point. This was somebody laughing at like, ha, that'll never happen. And I remember thinking to them in their mind, they live in the real They've embraced the real. They've settled for the real. They've just given up and become fatal about the real. And they've completely abandoned the fact that there is a divine ideal. And this is what Jesus did. Watch this. Jesus was constantly pointing people in the direction of what seemed to be an unattainable ideal. And yet didn't condemn them when they fell short. This was the message of Jesus. Jesus was constantly doing this. So like, think about Jesus' first sermon. Jesus' first sermon, which is called the Sermon on the Mount, he gets up and he has these repeated phrases where he says, you've heard it said of old, but I say to you this. You've heard it said of old, but I say. So he would say, hey, look, you've heard it said of old. I'll just, I'll just read a couple of them to you. You've heard it said of old, you shall not commit adultery. We're like, okay, yeah, that was in the Ten Commandments, and we know we're not supposed to do that. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. To which all the men in the room were like, dang, 
I have already, I'm ruined. I'm, lo- I'm a sinner. I am terrible. I am, this, Jesus, you just set the bar so high that no one can get to it now. Thanks a lot, Jesus. It was easier when you just said, don't commit it about adultery. That, now I got to get into my brain and my thought life and my imagination. Are you kidding me? This is an unattainable ideal. This, this is what he puts. He does this over and over. He goes, he goes, you've heard it said of old, don't murder. And we're all like, well, yeah, probably most of the time. And, and, but he goes, it's so much bigger than that. I don't want you to harbor hate in your heart. Like you've heard it said of old to like love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I'm telling you to love your enemy. You're like, what? Why, Jesus? Why? I'd rather go back to the Old Testament stuff. That was easier. I could do with not murdering. Now you don't want me to hate people. And he kept elevating this idea of what the ideal was. Do you see the difference now? Like he's pushing you towards a divine ideal. And then this is the crazy part. Is is in John chapter 1, it says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Not like 50-50, like half grace, half truth. And you don't know which side of the coin you're going to fall on. He was full, 100% grace and full, 100% of truth. And this is where you find Jesus working these ideas because, because Jesus is going all out truth on you, full truth. This is not about murder. This is about hate in your heart. This is not about adultery. This is about lust in your heart. This is so much bigger than this. And God's got an ideal for you. And then all the guys are like, but what do we do? Because we've already made mistakes. We've already messed up. He goes, what are you going to do? He goes, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to die for you. That's grace. Truth is that there's an ideal that we will not abandon. And grace says, even when you fall short of that ideal, I will be there to help you. This was this idea. The biggest one in their culture, in terms of this whole ideal versus real, the biggest one for them would have been back to this very issue of family. Because when he's talking about divorce, his ideas on divorce are so radical to them that they come back later to him to challenge. Watch this. Matthew chapter 19, the Bible says some Pharisees came to him to test him, meaning they were not coming to get a lesson from Rabbi Jesus. They weren't actually coming to learn. What they thought is, is we can trap him because if we can get him to say something against the law of Moses, then we can say he's a bad man and then nobody will believe him anymore. So they came to test him and they asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every Reason Now, the reason why they're asking this question is because this was one of the big debates of their time. A generation before, two rabbis had come out with opposing ideas. One said, you can only divorce your wife in, in the case of marital unfaithfulness. The other one said, you can divorce your wife for anything, including if she burns the toast. So ladies, watch the dial on the toast, first century, okay? Should be careful. Because they had a version of no-fault divorce. And the way it worked was this. If you just didn't like her, if she burnt the toast, for any and every reason is the way they word it. And the reason why is because that's the way Halil had, had framed it. You can, you can divorce your wife for any reason, including if she burns the toast. That was kind of built into the argument. And, and the other guy said, no, it's only in the case of marital unfaithfulness. And they're like, well, what do you say, Jesus? Because again, their version of divorce also went like this. A man could divorce his wife for any reason. A woman could never divorce her husband. Like it wouldn't go both ways. So ladies, if you didn't like him, you were just stuck. It's different now. It's a whole different world. So listen to what Jesus says. He goes, haven't you read? Which was insulting because these were like the Pharisees who would have read and memorized the entire first five books of the Bible. It's like, well, haven't you read? It was a slap in the face. 
He replied, haven't you read that at the beginning, everybody say beginning. He goes, at the beginning, the creator, God, made them male and female and then said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are now no longer two but one, and therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. Everybody say no one. Meaning including Moses, no one should separate. And so what he does, I want you to get this, because this is all back into the ideal versus real. What he was dealing with was their real. What he was pointing them to was what? An ideal. And what he points them to is this. He goes, look, 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 look. In the beginning... When it was the way God wanted it. In the beginning, when it was the way God intended it. When it was in the beginning before sin had messed anything up, God had an ideal. And the ideal was, is that two people would become one flesh. So that when you get married, there's a oneness that takes place. And you can't undone some oneness. It's always one. It's oneness. And that's the way God had intended it from the beginning. And now they're like, wait a minute. We were asking you to debate Halil and Shammai and Moses and... What? And then, so they just dig back in. Well, why then, now that you've confused us, why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce? They called it a ketubah, a certificate of divorce, and then send her away. And Jesus replied, he goes, that's that's because Moses permitted you to divorce your wife because of the the hardness of your hearts. But it was not that way from what? The beginning. He goes, there's an ideal And I know you live in the real. So like, they're like, well, which is it? Like, is it, is it marriage always? Or is there sometimes divorce? Is, is it grace? Or is it truth? And he's just like, yeah. You ever hate when people do that to you? You're like, was it this or this? And they're like, yeah. That's what Jesus does. He's like, yeah. He goes, wait a minute. What is it? Is, Is it marriage always? Yeah. But what happens when we get divorced? Well, I'm going to forgive you. So it's confusing because he creates the tension that we all live with. Now, now there's a reason, there's a point, there's a reason why I'm going to all these places in the Bible. And, and here's the real reason why, is, is that ultimately there's this tension between grace and truth. There's a tension between ideal and real. And what I want you to do as a Christ follower is weigh into the tension. Don't quit on the tension because there's a temptation that you and I all face, which is this. It's to take our real and just settle for it. It's to take our real and normalize it. It's to take the real and to become fatalistic about it. Well, that, you know what? My, my grandparents got a divorce. My parents got a divorce. I'm just going to be divorced too. So now we're just fatalistic about it. Or when times get tough, they're like, hey, you know what? Everybody gets divorced. It's not a big deal. Every, everybody's, everybody's doing it. It, 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 for, for us to move, and what we do is, as, as Christ followers, it would be a tragedy for us to all of a sudden take the ideal and throw it out and say, but you know what? But hey, life's life. Things happen. People change. Stuff comes up, Todd. Come on. You don't li- You got to be, you're the preacher and your wife is awesome. You don't live in the real world. You know how many times I've had conversations with young men and they're coming to me about their wives and you know what they tell me? You're like, you know what? You don't, you don't get it, man. My wife's not like Tara Lee. And I'm like, no, she's not. And that's your fault. But, or my blessing. I don't, I don't know what it is, but like, it, it would be so easy. But like, you know what? Then you just, just quit. And hey, you're right. And, we, and we, what, what we would do is we would end up surrendering to the real. Jesus never did that. 
Jesus always pointed you towards an ideal. And this is why this is so important. When we surrender the real, when we surrender the ideal and just settle for the real, what ends up happening is this. We end up kind of redefining terms to make it like feel better. Right? So if we just redefine it as, well, everybody gets divorced, then it makes us feel a little bit better. And, well, everybody does this. And so it, it, let me help you out with this thought. Just because it's normal doesn't make it right. Let me, let me say that again. Just because it's normal doesn't make it right. I'll give you an example. There are certain, like, remote tribal places in the world where they practice cannibalism, and it is okay to eat your friend. And to them, that is normal. But that don't make it right. Can I get, yeah, look at your friend, but like, I got you, dog. Um, so, so, but what happens is, is the further and further we move away from these divine ideals, we start normalizing, we start redefining terms, we start becoming fatalistic, and we give up. And I'm telling you, this is what we ultimately give up. When you surrender the ideal, you end up giving up God's best for your life. Because there is an ideal, and it may be unattainable, but Jesus never said you stop pursuing it. The ideal was something, I'll prove it to you. All of Christianity is built on this idea. Jesus dies for your sins so that you can have forgiveness before God. And then God, your heavenly Father, says, now go and be like Jesus. What was Jesus? Jesus was God's divine ideal. And now you're supposed to go out of these doors and become like who? That was like, you weren't even sure. This is like kids' church. The answer is always Jesus. So watch this. So you're supposed to go to these doors and you're supposed to live like Jesus. You're supposed to live like Jesus. Jesus was perfect. So are you ever going to be like Jesus? But does that mean we stop trying? We do, do we ever surrender the ideal and give up on it? No, he said, no, I want you to go be like Jesus. I'm just helping you out. You will never fully be like Jesus, ever. You tried it for like a day and couldn't do it. You had bracelets, didn't help. You've done everything, and yet God is still saying, I don't care, pick yourself back up. That's why there's grace. That's why there's mercy. That's why there's forgiveness. That's why my Holy Spirit empowers you to get back up because Jesus was embodying all of grace and all of truth and saying, move towards this great ideal. And if we ever surrender the ideal, I'm telling you, we're gonna miss out on God's plan for our life. We're gonna miss out on his best. We're gonna miss out on his ideal for us. The second reason why this is important, I'll close with this. It's because in family, there's so much crazy and dysfunction. And sometimes it's easy to just to say, well, this is just the way that it always is. And this is how many times I've been married. Or this is how many times we've been in fights and separated. Or this is how many times there's been infidelity. or this is, And we can begin to settle for. But here's why I know this isn't true. Even if you're here and you don't even believe in God, this is true for you. All the other stuff, you have to be a Christian to follow that one. You don't even have to be a Christian to follow this one. When you think about your kids, we're talking about family. When you think about your kids, there's not one parent in here who's ever been through the pain of divorce that thinks, you know what? I hope my kid gets to experience this. There's no parent in here who's ever experienced infidelity in their marriage and thought, you know, one day, my little girl. Regardless of your faith and belief in Jesus, what I know about you is this, is that you want your kids to experience a bigger, better, and brighter future than what you've experienced in this life. 
And even if you don't believe in God today, you would still have to admit to me, you know what? I don't ever want my kids to have to settle for the real when I know there's an ideal out there. And you know what? Maybe it's a little bit unattainable. It's something we'll never be able to take and keep and hold on to the entire time and be perfect at every time. But I know this, when I look at my little son, I want him to have a great marriage. And I want him to be a great father. When I look at my little girl, I don't want him or her to meet some kind of bonehead who doesn't treat her with respect and dignity and honor, who doesn't treat her like an equal. There is no way, because bless God, that's why I own shotguns, is to keep is to keep my little girl safe from twerps and punks and dudes that wouldn't give her respect and dignity. You all, you all feel that way about your kids. So if you feel that about, way about your kids, you know what you can't do? You dare not surrender the ideal. You dare not start redefining terms. You dare not start saying, well, you know what, sweet, I've actually heard this, like mom talking to her adult daughter. You know what, they all cheat, you just got to learn how to deal with it. No, they don't. And you don't have to. And I'm telling you, there is an ideal. So listen, listen, this is week one. This is part one. All I've done is kick over a can and open up a door. I know I didn't solve a lot of issues today, but this is the one thing that I want you to see, is that in the Bible, there may not be great examples, which lets us know there is a real, and we all live in it. But then Jesus comes along and the Apostle Paul comes along and says, but there is an ideal. And I want you to keep striving for the ideal and never surrender that. Because God forbid we ever surrender to that, we will only end up missing out on God's plan for our lives. And we will also set up our kids. Not for a future family, but for just a painful situation. Something we would never ever want them to experience. And so this is my challenge for you is that when you think about the Bible, when you think about what husbands are supposed to be like to wives and what wives are supposed to be like to husbands, I want you to embrace the ideal. And ultimately, here's how you do that. It's by embracing God's ultimate ideal, which was Jesus. Because although the ideal is unattainable, I promise this, you won't even get close without God's strength and help in your life. Jesus is the ultimate ideal, and we strive for him first and foremost. And in light of that, we keep striving for the ideal that he laid out before us. And if we do that, and there's more to come in next weeks, I believe we will find and discover the best, most ideal family that we can in this life. Let's pray together. So, Father, I pray that, God, that this is just week one and our hearts have been stirred and our minds have been opened and maybe we've been challenged to throw out some bad terms, to throw out some fatalism, to throw out some negativity, that we don't have to say this is the way it'll always be or this is just the way it was with mine. or that It doesn't have to be that way. And so, God, we're gonna throw that out. God, what we will pursue is an ideal. What we will look to is an ideal. We will look to Jesus and we will look to the ideal family that he laid out and we may never fully attain it and some of us have messed up and made mistakes where we might not ever see it but that's okay because you've got grace for us but that doesn't mean that we'll give up God we will keep pursuing your ideal for our lives God that is our prayer today in Jesus name and we all said amen can we give Lord a big hand clap today Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.